Let's go ahead and pray and we'll ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Our Father who art in heaven, Lord, you tell us that you are like our Father. You tell us to come to you as a Father. Though you are a king, you don't tell us to come to you with words like your majesty, and though you're a judge, you don't tell us to come to you with words like your honor. But you tell us to come to you like children in need of guidance. Like children, we ask for your wisdom and direction. Lord, you ask us to come to you like children who are in need of protection, and so we ask that you would bring us out of the harsh and blazing sun and into the comfort of your shade. Lord, I'm thankful, and we as a church are thankful for the elders that you've raised up, that they might lead, guide, direct, provide care and spiritual oversight. Lord, we ask that you would bring more men who are called and qualified for this position. Lord, we're also thankful for gospel-centered churches around Madeira. Lord, I think of Pastor Daniel at 4th Street. I pray that you would be blessing your word to those people, that he would preach effectively, that he would know that if he submits to you, that you will call him by name and power and equip him for your people that meet there. Lord, so as we come to you today as children, we expect and desire to hear your voice, to hear your words, to know that your word is like a fire that consumes our thoughts, that knows our intentions, or that your word is like a hammer, that it breaks the hardest hearts of stone. And Lord, in their place, you leave hearts of flesh. Lord, we ask that your word today would be like a lamp unto our feet, that it would be a light unto our path. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember where we started in chapter 1 of Hosea, Hosea was asked by God to do a difficult thing, to go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. Thankfully for Hosea, the story does not end where it began. And like Hosea, we too walked in darkness before being called to God. And our story doesn't end in the darkness, but it continues throughout our lives until we are face to face with God making a decision. Hosea heard God's words. Hosea knew that God had called him to something difficult, if not impossible. And by the grace of God, Hosea obeyed what God had called him to do. We looked at weeks of judgment, how through the Israelites' continual sin and continual disobedience to God, they wandered from God and walked from God and faced judgment after judgment. And now we come to a good chapter where we see the pinnacle of all of the submission of Hosea to God, the judgment of his people, and this chapter is like the crowning glory of the book of Hosea. You know, a few years ago when one of my daughters was like three or four years old, 
We have a rule at our house. We have a gate that's in the front. And if it's open, they know they can't go past the gate. And we were having a party. I don't remember the context, but people were leaving. And it was night. It was dark. And she followed some people out the gate. And they turned to go to their car. And she just kept walking. She walked across the street until she landed in a patch of goat heads, you know, the thick thorns that... And she sat down because she was in pain. And she just sat there and whimpered. And it was kind of behind a bush, and it was dark. So we looked everywhere. We looked in cabinets, we looked in our bushes, we looked everywhere until we could barely hear the faint whimpering and went and found her across the street. We had rules that she chose not to listen to. She found herself with the consequences of the pain, but also the fear of now being alone in the dark, somewhere that she wasn't familiar with. But thankfully, she learned the lesson. She doesn't wander anymore, and she's happy to stay close first 13 chapters of Hosea, we see that attitude. They've wandered. God has given them a line that you shall not pass. And they pass. You shouldn't, and you should. But they do, and they don't. And they wander until they find themselves alone. Let's look at verse 1 through 3 of Hosea chapter 14. It says, Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord and say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. For the fatherless receives compassion in you. These first three verses are like a, a paint by number, teaching them how to ask for repentance. So you've done paint by number. It's like, do I have to explain it? When you nod, I feel like you get me. When you just stare, I'm like... All right, so it's like a drawing, it's like an outline. The number one, you do green. The number two, you do brown. And it's easy to do. And this is what God is telling them. Here is step-by-step how to repent. First, Israel, return to the Lord. This isn't a new place that they've never been. They've been here, and now they need to come back. God's telling them, return to the Lord. You have stumbled in your iniquity. You've gone off and you've sat down in the thorns. Return to the Lord. Verse 2, take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Take words of repentance. This is two-part. Say it and do it. Take words of repentance when you return to the Lord. You're not just taking words and doing nothing. You're not just doing something not saying anything. You're both confessing and admitting, I have done wrong, 
And then you're turning and going back to the Lord to make it right. Here's why. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Forgive all our iniquity. The Bible uses different words for the concept of sin. We have just the word sin, which is kind of a big picture. You've done what God told you not to do. You've not listened. You've not done. In some form or fashion, God has a standard. And sin means I have not done what God said. Right? Romans says that we've all sinned. Romans says that anything that we do that falls short of or below God's perfect standard is sin. We've all done it. Then we also have trespass. The Bible frequently uses, especially in the Old Testament, the word trespass. Trespass differentiates from sin because trespass can be intentional or it can be unintentional. Sometimes people trespass without knowing. If you're walking in the forest, you could walk across different property lines and you might never know. You've trespassed, but it was unintentional. You could also hop a fence to get into somebody's property that you know you shouldn't be in, intentionally trespassing. So trespass doesn't necessarily have a sin component, but it often does. A third way that the Bible often uses sin is, as it is in this verse, iniquity. Iniquity differs from trespass because iniquity is premeditated. And so when the Bible uses the word iniquity, it's saying this is long past trespassing. This is long past any kind of sin that is I stumbled upon, I did the wrong thing, I repented, I knew I shouldn't have, but I, I turned back. What iniquity is, is you'll remember David with Bathsheba. He sees Bathsheba and he starts to plot. He starts to scheme, how can I get her for myself? He premeditatedly finds a way and then she has a husband. And David's deep in his sin of iniquity and so he premeditatedly tells the commander of the army, send her husband out to the front lines. Okay, this is still in David's iniquity. He's planning and plotting sin. And so he says, send him out to the front lines. And then when he's right in the middle of the fiercest battle, just back away and he'll be alone. The other army will press forward as you back away and this woman's husband will be left out there alone. He will die. That's what I want to happen. So David kills a man to get what he wants. He takes the man's wife to get what he wants. David says in Psalm 51:2, cleanse me of my iniquity and heal me from my sin. Cleanse me from my iniquity. And look here in verse 2. Forgive all our iniquity. Israel didn't accidentally cross this line. They didn't accidentally trespass into an area that God had forbidden them to go. Israel chose sin. They chose this life. So forgive our iniquity and accept what is good 
so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. You see, true repentance has evidence. True repentance, forgive all our premeditated sin. David lying on his bed, desiring Bathsheba, forgive those thoughts that I had. When I sent for her to bring her to me, I knew that was wrong. And I still called for a servant. I still sent for her, forgive my iniquity. Repentance shows evidence of a heart that is repentance, and that's what the Israelites are saying, that we may repay you with praise from our lips. It acknowledges sin, and it turns from it. Take words of repentance, acknowledge your sin, and return to the Lord to both say it and do it. Now, Israel here in verse 3 has two specific areas that are listed that they've committed iniquity. There are many more, but these two are areas that they have specifically said, here are two areas that we will confess, that we will acknowledge, that we will take words of repentance back to God, and we will explicitly return to him, to turn away from these two sins. The first is in verse three, Assyria will not save us. They're gonna say this to God. We know that Assyria will not save us. Assyria was a foreign kingdom that God had told them, don't intermarry with the people, don't be like the people. They worship other gods when you start to do business and when you start to have relationships with them. You wander into sin, you wander into idolatry, so much so that the enemy nation that will come and conquer and take them into captivity, they're looking at as their salvation. This enemy nation, they're saying, will come and save us. They know that this relationship, without God even having to tell them again, they know that this needs to be repented of. We know that we need to stop feeling like Assyria will save us. We need to stop knowing that our confidence and our hope is in a foreign nation. This is an ungodly relationship. This relationship with Assyria leads Israel away from God. Ungodly relationships lead us away from God. You may have been in a relationship for a long time. You've been dating for a long time. But you know that there's sin in the relationship. And you know the relationship doesn't lead you to God. It leads you away from God. And you're inclined to say, but we've been together for a long time. You know, if you ask the government, we're basically married anyway. We've been together for enough time that it's a common law marriage, where the only thing that really separates us is a piece of paper from the state. We're basically ungodly relationships lead us into sin and away from God. When we choose that relationship over God, we're saying, Assyria will save us. My hope, my joy, my peace, my safety is in that relationship. 
Maybe it's not that kind of a relationship, but maybe it's one that when you spend time with a friend, you say to yourself, this time I'm not going to drink. This time I'll only have one. And before the night's over, you don't remember what happened, and you wake up in the morning saying, I knew I shouldn't have gone there. Ungodly relationships lead us away from the Lord. Maybe it's when the phone rings and you see her name and you know every time you talk with her, it's gossip, it's complaining, and before you know it, you're 30 minutes deep into, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what she said? Did you know that they are? Ungodly relationships lead us away from the Lord. See, friends that lead us into sin are not godly friends, and Assyria is no friend to Israel. They lead them away from sin. And what Israel is saying here is, we're going to replace this sin with repentance. We're going to replace this sin with righteous living. We're not going to say anymore that Assyria is going to save us. That's going to be out of our mind because we don't have faith in Assyria. This relationship is not going to be what we think is going to save us. But it still requires to both say it and to do it. They have to then walk away from that relationship. The second way that Israel is explicit with their sin is in the second part of verse 3. And we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. They would take wood and they would take stone and they would take gold and they would carve idols out of these things. They would literally take a block of wood and carve it with a, with a knife or a stone to shape it into something. And they would set it in their house and they would offer sacrifices to the stone, to the rock, to the wood. And they would shout, our God, after they finished carving it. Yesterday it was just a block of wood and today it's their idol. So no longer will we proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. No longer will we take pride in what we have created in our own selves. See, what they created became what brought them satisfaction. What they created is what had brought them safety and security. When I create something with the work of my hands and put it in place of God, it becomes an idol. Anything that we put where God should be becomes an idol for us. See, pride becomes idolatrous when we rely on ourselves and not God. Pride becomes idolatrous when we rely on the works of our hands and not God. And it really becomes a problem for us when we start to believe that our worth and our value comes from our, the work of our hands. Right, take that outside of just an idol. Back up a little bit. Pride becomes a problem when it becomes my worth. When my value becomes what I can do, what I can earn, what I can achieve. And my pride is tied up in what I do, what I achieve, how I live. And we've put 
the work of our hands on the pedestal. We will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. Do you sleep well when your bank account's full? Are you restless when it's empty? Do you sleep well when you post something on social media and you get likes and you get comments and you get satisfaction and you get validation? Is it a depression event when you post something and nobody responds? Nobody likes it? When we seek to find validation in what we do, we proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. So what's the answer to that? It comes at the very end of verse three. For the fatherless receives compassion in you. And if you're paying attention with me here, that doesn't make sense on the surface. We need to repent of this, Assyria being our savior. We need to repent of our pride and doing our own work. And how do we do that? For, since, because the fatherless receives compassion in you. Think of the fatherless. Think of the fatherless in the time of Israel in which Hosea is writing. The fatherless have no means of income. The fatherless have no claim to land. The fatherless are humbled. The fatherless have nothing. The fatherless receive compassion. The humble receive compassion. We had a great opportunity at the rescue mission yesterday. There were a lot of us. There were over 800 people that came and heard the good news. They talked to the Good News Club teams. The Gideons were there passing out Bibles. I preached once. Caesar preached like on repeat. Caesar here? Caesar preached like over and over and over and over. It was like every 15 minutes, like they'd come in and sit and eat and Caesar would preach the gospel. That group leave, they'd come in, sit and eat and preach the gospel. I, he preached I don't know, six, seven, eight times just on repeat. Same message. It's always the same message, right? We don't need a new message. Maybe a new messenger to relieve Caesar every once in a while. But still the same message. Different mouth, but the same message. And one of the things that I noticed, there was a man that walked in and I recognized him. And I went up to him and I said, De donde te recuerdo? Where do I know you from? How do I remember you? He said, el año pasado, last year. And it struck me right in that moment. There are hardly any fathers here. I'm talking like 819 people. And I saw maybe 20 fathers. Maybe 20. We're talking like, 300 moms probably, 20 fathers. It was so striking that I recognized a man that I saw for five minutes 12 months ago because there were so few of them. 
It's an epidemic. It's a problem. It's a problem that fathers are not in the home. It's a problem that children are neglected. I'm not just talking physical neglect, though. I'm talking spiritual neglect. Because fathers can be present and absent at the very same time. We can be physically there, but emotionally and spiritually gone. That's not okay. That's not okay for us as husbands and as fathers and as men to be gone. It was such a striking contrast to the moms that brought their kids and the fathers who were off doing their own thing. So the fatherless receive compassion. The fatherless can't deny their helplessness. They can't deny their hopelessness. The fatherless can't deny that they have no other means. They are humbled by their circumstances. It's not Assyria. It's not a relationship. It's not something outside of us that will save us. It's not the work of our hands. It's not our abilities and our skills and the things that we produce, the money that we earn that will save us. Because the fatherless will receive compassion. The fatherless, having nothing else, will receive compassion from God. So in this, I want to encourage you two things. Number one is take time to give God credit for the things that God does. And that's the work of your hands. That's the sun shining. That's the trees blossoming. That's every last thing. If God is sovereign over some things, he's sovereign over all things. And it's good for us just to stop every once in a while and just be grateful to God for what he has done. And the second thing, Christmas is hard for people. People you may not know, people I may not know. But take a minute and recognize that God has blessed some people more than he has others financially. And it's my encouragement to you to commit to some kind of secret project. Just between you and God, you do something that you get no credit for. That nobody ever knows. And you say to God, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. Not for my praise, not for my glory, not so that I might, but so that you might. And find a way to be a blessing to somebody that nobody else will know. It's a great opportunity at the holidays to be the hands, to be the feet, to be the light of Christ to others. So if you've found yourself walking across the street, sitting down in a patch of thorns, and sitting there softly whimpering, hoping for somebody to come and find you, I present verse 4 through verse 8. 
It's like Willy Wonka when they, the first one, not the new one, when they walk into like the, the part of the chocolate factory and it all opens up and there's just like candy in the chocolate river and he just like turns and he does this. That's what God is saying right here. Return to the Lord, take words of repentance and return to the Lord and this is what I give you. Much better, but in a sense, God is saying, I'll give you everything. Look at verse four. I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy is like a formal rejection. It's not just now pass. You know, people come to church and they're presented with, do I want to represent Christ with my life? Do I want to follow Christ, accept what he has offered, repent of my sins, and be made clean? Now pass. That seems like a lot of work. Doesn't seem like something I want to do. That's not apostasy. Apostasy is saying, get out. I don't want God anywhere around me. Write it out. I'm going to sign a contract. Get it notarized. I don't want anything to do with God. That's their apostasy. I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them. At this time in Israel's history, they have reached peak wickedness. In all the ways they have found to reject God, they're still exploring the depths of how might we offend God. Let's look for new ways to sin. Let's look for new iniquity. I can't stop with just this sin. Let's see what happens if we double it. They've reached peak wickedness and God says, I will freely love them. For my anger will have turned from him. Verse five, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. You know, when plants are in a drought, they don't flower, they don't bud and blossom. God has taught them somehow that, you know, this isn't a good time to try to put out seed. You're barely holding on. You're about to die, so it's a drought. Let's not spend extra energy, extra whatever to blossom. No flowers in a drought. But here God is saying, Israel will blossom like the lily, a full recovery from their wickedness to health. Six, his new branches will spread. It's new life that they have. New branches will spread. Not just the old ones regaining their leaves, but they're now growing. They're expanding. And his splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. Can you imagine just like walking through miles of cedar trees? I love the smell of cedar. And just like walking through and just that smell of cedar. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. They'll be prosperous. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Verse 7, they will return and live beneath his shade. You know, Hosea has this picture of God as this giant tree. And all his other trees of Israel, they're, they're beneath the shade. God has offered care and he's offered protection. He's offered his authority over their lives, but they have to be in his shade. His shade extends all the way to the edge but they have to come into God's shade to experience this fullness of life that God is offering. They have to bring words of repentance. 
They have to return to the Lord. They have to say it and do it. God is saying, my shade is here. Just step into it. But they are sometimes like us. And we want to go and say, I've got this little like toy umbrella that's tattered and it's ripped and the umbrella pieces are bent and I just like stand out there and God's shade's here. I'm like, I got this. Come on, everybody, come stand under my shade. Like, No, you're dumb. That's not shade. That's a torn Barbie umbrella. We're not going to go stand under that. God's shade is right there. It's the works of our hands. It's the trust in Assyria. It's the faith in something that keeps us outside of God's shade. And he says, just come and return and live beneath his shade. Ephraim, verse 8, why should I have anything more to do with idols? God probably said it differently. Like, Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I am like a flourishing pine cone. Your fruit comes from me. Flourishing pine tree. What's the difference? A pine tree is evergreen. A pine tree is always producing shade. In the winter, shade. In the summer, shade. It never loses its leaves. God is everlasting. He is evergreen. He always has and offers protection. Come and return to the Lord. Your fruit comes from me. It doesn't come from Assyria. It doesn't come from the works of your hands. It certainly doesn't come from your blocks of wood and your idols that you've crafted. Your fruit comes from me. It's the same thing that Paul said in Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, For the word of the Lord rang out from you. These Thessalonians, Paul's saying that the word of God was spreading because of you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything for they, those people that have heard of your faith, they themselves report what kind of reception we have had from you. Here's the reception. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the testimony of all of us that we have turned from whatever idol captivated us and we've turned to the Lord. We've taken words of repentance and we've said, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. We have to take words of repentance and return to the Lord. Paul says in Acts 3, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We have to live beneath the shade of God. We have to live beneath the shade of the cross. We have to live beneath the blood of Christ. Everything apart from that is an idol that we hope might save us. Everything that we put our hope in, everything that we put our salvation in and our trust is a foreign nation that God has said, don't go there. To the pride of our lives, don't trust your own hands. So how do we live beneath this shade? What does that look like for us personally? 
It's being so close to God that you know you're in the shade. You're not in the blazing and burning sun. You're not out in the wind. You've tucked in close like a mother hen reaches out and brings her chicks in where it's safe. There's a hawk. Come close. We trust that the Lord knows best and says, this is my shade. These are the boundary lines that I've told you not to cross. Not because he's a mean God, but because he says, I know there's a road over there. Don't walk in the road. My shade is for your protection. Let's look at verse 9. You know, it's the same way that my daughter learned to walk in our ways, same way she learned to learn our rules. See what the Israelites are told. This is almost like an like a editor's note at the end here. It's like a footnote, I feel like, that is being summarized. You know, here's the, the book of Hosea. Well, give me the Cliffs notes, right? Like, paraphrase that, summarize that for me. Verse 9. Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. There's three parts here. Number one, for the ways of the Lord are right. Number two, and the righteous walk in them. Number three, but the rebellious stumble in them. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are what the beginning says. Their understanding, their insight. It's being able to recognize them. And here's the two contrasts. The wise or the, the righteous walk in them. The rebellious stumble in them. The same ways, the same understanding. The rebellious know. They know what God has called them to do. They stumble on his command. They're disobedient, but they still know. They know God's command. They're just disobedient. But the righteous walk in them. Walking is a verb. It's something that we would have to actively engage in. It's not just something that we have understanding. We have wisdom. We have this insight to recognize, but we have to then go and do. It demands a response. It demands obedience, that the righteous will walk in them. See, knowledge knows what wisdom does. To know something and to do something are not the same. To know it and to do it is taking and learning wisdom and then applying it and being able to actually walk in them. The rebellious know. They have knowledge, but they're foolish. Hosea had been asked by God to do something really difficult. Go and marry Gomer. And God doubled down on it. She left you. She's an adulteress. She's with another man. Go again and redeem her. Go and pull her back out of her sin. You know what Hosea did? He got up and went. Evidence, evidence of a heart that says, I trust God. I trust God that the ways of the Lord are right. And I, the righteous Hosea, will walk in them. I don't need to stumble in them because I trust the ways of the Lord are right. Not my own hands, not my other relationship, not some other thing. I trust the ways of the Lord. And here is Israel like Gomer, rebellious, stumble in them. The righteous and the rebellious, each on their own path. It's like a goat and a human. 
trying to walk along a narrow road, a narrow ledge at the top of a mountain. You've seen those shale mountains, right? And they, these goats are walking along this little narrow ledge. You and I'd be at the bottom of the mountain, bruised and bleeding, and the goats hop around, and they're just like doing goat things. We're bleeding. They're wise. They know how to do it. It's ingrained in them. It's ingrained in Hosea. God said it. I did it. I didn't need to question. I understood. I was insightful enough to say, these are God's words to me. Hey, the righteous walk in them. I don't need any other answers. I don't have any other questions. I will do what the Lord has called me to do. Paul says in Galatians, these are where the paths lead. I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you'll certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. The righteous walk by the Spirit. The rebellious carry out the desires of the flesh. There's a narrow road that God calls us to. There's a broad road that most people walk upon. And all of us are called then to either be righteous or to be rebellious. Do we righteously walk in the ways of God or do we rebelliously stumble in them? And the difference is what we do, what we believe, what we have heard, what we are wise to understand and insightful to recognize. In Ephesians, it says this, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light. And the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Those who walk in the faith those who walk by the Spirit, who have turned from their own sin and put their hope in Christ, are not those who stumble on the stone. They don't stumble over the truths of Scripture because they're wise to understand. They're faithful to trust. You see here in Hosea, repentance, this whole picture, this whole chapter, repentance reveals their heart. Repentance always reveals the heart. If someone's unwilling to repent, it shows a heart of pride. When someone's willing to repent, the fatherless receive compassion. When we humble ourselves, we receive compassion. And when we humble ourselves, God opens up the floodgates of his blessing. The people will return and live beneath his shade. Through Christ, God calls us to himself. He says, come and believe, taste and see and you're carrying a heavy burden, Jesus, I'll trade you. My burden's light. You've got heavy things weighing you down, Jesus says, I got it. I'll give you hope and peace that transcend anything you'll ever know. You got problems, I got answers. I'll take all of those problems and give you peace. I'll take the heartache, I'll take the abandonment, I'll take the fatherlessness, and I'll replace it with a father who never leaves you. I'll replace it with something that you've never known, the peace of Christ. But it requires humility. It requires that we take words of repentance and that we turn to the Lord in Christ. If that's something that you've never done, I'll be up here in the front. We'll have prayer partners on the side. I just encourage you, Find somebody to pray with. Find somebody to say, man, I want to walk along this journey. I know that I don't have wisdom yet, 
but I want to take first steps. I want to be wise. And I know there are people here that are more like the Israelites in verse 1. You've already been with the Lord. And God's calling you to return to him. And you've walked in the desert. You've seen the, the heat of the sun. And you've been out there sunburnt and parched. And you know where God stands. And he says, come and return to my shade. Don't stay out there. Come and return to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, through Christ, we have received every blessing. Lord, through Christ, we have every hope. Lord, we are so thankful and grateful for the things that you've done, for the transformation that you've given us through Christ, that we who were once darkness are now light. That while we once sat in a thorn patch of our own doing, Lord, you've lifted us out, you've bandaged our wounds, you've healed us, you've called us to yourself. Lord, we bring words of repentance. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us when we trespass. Lord, forgive us for our iniquity. Lord, we desire your shade. We desire your protection. And we submit to your authority. Lord, if we are not yet humble, then humble us. That we might know that you are the only truth. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he's given us a way that we might have salvation. We thank you that he has become for us sin that we don't have to pay for our sin. And through him, Lord, we believe. We believe that we have salvation and repentance. We offer our repentance to the one who said that he is the way and the truth and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. We ask this in his name. Amen.